Good morning. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Greg. Um, let's open uh, in prayer. We'll be studying Acts chapter 4, and it is my pleasure to enjoy this scripture with you together. Let's pray. Righteous Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, draw near to us, we pray. Open our minds to understand the scripture and open our hearts to receive Christ by the Spirit day by day and hour by hour, beginning in our own homes and extending to everybody we touch in our community, uh, even the electronic community as, as the world is going. But Lord, we pray that most of all, you would cause us to be found with you, sitting at your feet listening, thereby being emboldened because we have been with you. Amen. All right. Uh, today I'll be quoting directly several times from the ESV Reformation Study Bible, uh, unabridged footnotes. Just so you know, they're very good. Uh, we've been studying the book of Acts. The theme of the book of Acts is uh, found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then a couple of weeks ago, we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 43, which said, the, the disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then we come to Acts chapters 3 and 4, which are one chunk of the storyline of Acts. And we've studied Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, 3 in the afternoon. And as the prayer service was about to begin, a man who had been uh, lame from birth, unable to walk, had been carried by friends to be set there outside the temple gate to ask for money for his sustenance. And... He asked Peter and John for money, and they said, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he leapt up, and he entered the temple with them, clinging to them, leaping and shouting and praising God, and everybody saw it. And as the prayer service was concluding, everyone rushed together around them, utterly astonished at what had occurred. And Peter began to preach. And he said, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? There was this rabbinic tradition. The rabbis uh, had taught that there were some people who were so holy, such good Christians, so to speak. There were, there were such good people that God was obligated to listen to their prayers. Peter and John just come against that, and they say, why are you staring at us? Like, as if by our own power. I mean, nobody by their own humanity can make somebody who is permanently disabled 
free, right? Free and, and recreated physically. Nobody can do that. Why, are you, why do you assume that came from us? Why do you assume that we're so righteous that God listened to our prayers? That's a trap. And if you ever lay your hands on somebody and they are healed, don't think to yourself, man, God really listened to me. I'm doing something right. The only thing we're doing right is trusting in him. And that's, that's the beginning of his message. They wholly glorified God. They took no credit for themselves because they knew him and they knew themselves. And they had been with Jesus and they'd learned that lesson many times before, especially our friend Peter. And he states clearly to the crowd and the priests on duty who are listening and hearing this that you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So he's saying Jesus has been raised from the dead and is in heaven, but the Father is going to send the Son, the Christ, the Messiah, the deliverer of our people. He's saying he's going to send him. He's saying he's going to send him in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, and the forgiveness and the gift and the grace, it's for you who killed him. And by the way, you did kill him, but you did do it. That he, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So what's that? Ever get confused when you read that? I have. So there's, there's, the, there's the times of refreshing. That began at Pentecost. And then that continues. It grows. It snowballs. It gathers momentum. It's like a snowball that starts small at the top of a steep hill, and as it rolls, it picks up a new layer of snow as it goes down with every revolution. And by the time it gets to the bottom of this hill, it's this massive snowball that the kids who made it couldn't stop if they were down there. And it just smashes everything, right? And so in the book of Daniel, the church is pictured as a rock. Likewise, Christ is pictured as a rock because the church is built on Christ and we are founded on him. The foundation is bedrock scripturally. And Christ, the prophets, the apostles, all the generations of Christians in one big family tree bearing fruit and an overlapping word picture, one rock, a rock that grows until it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And this is the mountain, another word picture, of the house of the Lord. And so this house or this city, this temple, is the group of believers, a light on a hill. And Jesus says, you are a city set on a hill. And Revelation says, I saw the new Jerusalem, you know, the, the city of the temple, coming down from God out of heaven. Therefore, where are you from? Heaven. Where do you live? Dayton. Hyderabad wherever you live, right? But where are you from? I'm, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is from there. 
And so, and so we are living in the times of refreshing, which is causing in more and more waves of refreshing the church to be renewed, the church to repent, the church to grow. And by this day, we're about to read in Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 4, I think, that the number of those who believed increased to about 5,000 men, right? And why does it say men and not children? Why does it say men and not women? It's probably talking about representative heads of household. So this is probably like 5,000 households. On the day of Pentecost, it was 3,000. You remember in the feeding of the 5,000? It didn't say 5,000 men, women, and children. It said 5,000 men. That's how they counted. And so the period of the restoration of all things is really rightly viewed eschatologically, or when you see the future through God's eyes, through the, through the eyes of the prophets, the time for the restoration of all things is when God finishes fixing everything that's broken. But that's been going on since the day of Pentecost, hasn't it? And that's what Peter is saying in his sermon. And he says, repent therefore. He says, God, having raised up his servant, his servant Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. He doesn't say to bless you by fixing everything that's wrong politically in our country. Um, he says to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The outgrowth of that is the renewal of the whole nation on every layer, politically, economically, socially, in the educational systems, in families. He's saying this is going to change everything. It's going to change our culture, it's going to change the civilization of Rome. It's going, to it's going to go to the barbarians, to the tribes. If you get on a ship and sail as far as you can and you get out to the distant islands, the gospel's going there, and Christ is going to come among us and change everything if you repent. It's conditional for them. He will accomplish his work, but he's saying he wants to give this gift to you. And so he begins. So we begin in chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what name or by what power did you do, by what power or by what name did you do this? The power of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus reveals his person. The power of the name of Jesus, which reveals who he is, is the central and unifying theme in the healing of the lame man and the aftermath. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, 
rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Church, you see, the issue is sin. We need to preach Christ. Christ came to save sinners, and I was a sinner. That is our message. That's the, that's the most simplified version of the gospel. We must not shrink back from that gospel reality. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the habits of inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Can you see how these guys in the hardness of their heart are totally stumped? For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Like, there's no denying it. Everybody knows. But we can't get on board with it because we just can't do that. You know, what? Their hardness of heart is easy for us to see, and it is incredible. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. 
And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. Amen. So now we've seen in the book of Acts, fire. We've seen a mighty rushing wind. We've seen this earthquake at the, towards the end of chapter 4. All the signs that Elijah saw, but Elijah discerned the Lord in a still small voice because the Lord was not in the fire, nor was he in the wind, nor was he in the earthquake. Interesting. In verse 1, the priests serving in the temple that day heard the criticism in Peter's sermon. They heard the criticism of the rulers of Judaism, and they were alarmed. They alerted the special temple police and also prominent Jewish leaders, including those who were named in Peter's sermon as those who were responsible for rejecting and killing their Christ. In verse 2, It says they're greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So why are they annoyed by a sermon about people being raised from the dead? They're annoyed because they're Sadducees. Unlike the Pharisees and other groups, the Sadducees did not believe in the afterlife. They believed in God, but not in the resurrection of the dead to eternal reward or eternal punishment. They had a kind of easy faith, a kind of faith that is very common in our, in churches across our, uh, in church, uh, churches across our country today. They, they congregated and they had some kind of faith in God. This is the flavor of faith that is, it's popular in all Tom Hanks movies. Um, (laughs) If you closely analyze almost any Tom Hanks movie in the last, like, 20 years, you will probably find that actor, one of the great actors, um, uh, weaving in the theme, subtle or overt, of, of, like, a loss of faith and then a renewal of just a little faith, right? The Sadducees had just a little faith. And the idea is, like, that's good enough and kind of... We, we, we're, do, we're, we're the right kind of Christians. We're very politically active. We're very concerned about social issues. Um, it's important to us to, to be leaders and influencers in our culture, right? This is a very popular flavor of Christianity in our country. And they're very annoyed because now Peter with John are teaching in the resurrection of the dead in Jesus. That's very upsetting. That's not, they're thinking, that's not, that's not true. That doesn't really happen. And so, and so they arrest them and put them in custody until the next day. The temple, it was time to close the temple. They couldn't uh, have a, uh, a serious council after hours, so Peter and John spent the night in prison. I have a feeling the man who was healed also spent the night in prison with them, but I don't think it says. But many of those who had heard the word believed. 
despite the persecution, the church has grown from 3,000 believers on the day of Pentecost to 5,000 believers this day, or rather 5,000 households probably. Okay, on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes, who are they? Gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Who were they? This is the Jewish religious council called the Sanhedrin. It, this group also included, it included the high priest and members of his family, other Sadducees, scribes who were like Bible scholars, although ironically they didn't believe in Christ for all their study. Pharisees like Nicodemus, who was called a ruler of the Jews. He was a not very many Pharisees, thank you. At this time, it was mostly Sadducees. So Pharisees were a minority, although uh, they still had a lot of cultural influence uh, in the people, over the people. Uh, Pharisees like Nicodemus, called a ruler of the Jews in John chapter 3. Remember, he came to Jesus at night because, I mean, if you're a prominent political figure, you're not going to go to somebody who's viewed as a revolutionary and get your name in the papers, right? And Gamaliel, a respected teacher of the law, that is the Jewish scriptures, the first five books of the Bible especially, but the whole, what we have is the Old Testament. And elders. Who are the elders? Are they just the oldest people? They're the heads of the Jewish aristocratic families, and they're decision makers in the community. You might notice that it says here in verse 5, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. Did anybody catch that? Do you remember in the Gospel of John, it says Caiaphas the high priest, I think? I might be getting the Gospel wrong. So how can Caiaphas be the high priest and Annas be the high priest? And that's a good question. Caiaphas was the high priest, and the high priest was supposed to serve for life. Well, in AD 15, the Romans deposed Caiaphas. So now you have Annas, who I believe was his son-in-law. Caiaphas was the father-in-law of Annas, right? So um, correct me if I'm saying that wrong. I think I'm getting that right. So here you have Annas identified as the high priest. Caiaphas, his father-in-law, is probably widely regarded as the rightful high priest by the Jewish people. And he's probably the, the power behind the throne, so to speak, and the influencer. Um, so that's why you see that. Uh, it looks like a discrepancy, but it's not if you... Dig a little deeper into the history. And John and Alexander, we don't know who Alexander is. John, not sure. It might be Jonathan, the son of Annas, who uh, began to serve as the high priest in the year 36. And all who were of the high priestly family. They had set them in their midst. They put the recently crippled man now in perfect health in the translation in the NASB. And Peter and John among them and you can see them leaning forward in their seats saying, by what power or by what name did you do this? What are they thinking? They're thinking they're like witches, right? They're thinking they're, they've somehow got in league with Satan. They're in league with Beelzebul. And it's by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that they did this. So how often does Beelzebul heal crippled men and cause everybody to run into the temple of the Lord and praise God and glorify God. So 
they can't shake this feeling that God would never have anything to do with Jesus, and we are of God, and we are the people, right? Like, we're the center of the universe. They, they deeply held in their heart the belief that we are the center of the universe, and God is with us. Make sure that's not your orientation, because we get that way, don't we? Right? And, and they're trying to reconcile these two, obvious, the, the obvious ten, uh, contradiction between everybody's praising God, he's healed, they didn't make him crippled, they made him healed, okay, and, it's, and nobody can do that unless it's power, but it has to be satanic power, like there's got to be witchcraft, some kind of weird curse going on here, but then why is everybody glorifying God? And they, they kind of, the, they de-emphasize everybody glorifying God because they, deep in their hearts, they, they don't really care that much about God's glory, especially these prominent Sadducees the, and the Pharisees too. They really want the glory that comes from man. And that's what they've been cherishing in their hearts their whole lives. And their, their religion, their religious practices is, is built around that. The religious practice is the periphery, and it's the, the, cult, the church culture and stuff that's built around what they really want is the glory that comes from man. And so, in their hardness of heart, in their resistance to Christ, their rightful Lord and, Christ, their, and Messiah, their rightful King, they're still trying to find a way to punish these men. They're like, well, we can't, right? In verse 8, Peter stands up, and now he directs the sermon to them. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to be astonished that this plain Joe, this regular guy, this guy who was never trained in oratorical arts, he was never trained in hermeneutics, he never went to the synagogue school. He's, this guy is like, He's like, like, what does he do for a living? Does he, you know, work as a fisherman by day, and then he moonlights by going to college, attending university, and he gets taught by the best rabbis, and, and you know, he's gathering a following and all. No, like, he's a, he's a fisherman. There's no natural explanation for how this guy, that probably don't even talk too good, is now so astonishingly bold. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, after his baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit, it says Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. It'd be nice if the Bible were alphabetical, right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, well, that's 6, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine or filled with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled or be drunk or be controlled by the Spirit. What does being filled with the Spirit look like? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything. We're about to see uh, in chapter 5, 
when persecution really breaks out and the threats come to fruition and the threats become beatings, right? Like not like a, not like a, you know, the little slap on the bottom, you know, this is like a, this is like a public beating they're going to receive for the same continued preaching in chapter five. The threats will become punishment and persecution. Being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like what the apostles will demonstrate in chapter five, giving thanks in always, always and for everything, even for the honor of being persecuted, counted worthy of being persecuted for the name of Jesus. Being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Put that into practice in your marriages, in your homes, in our church, in your workplace. Continuing on, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches and he says, if we're being on tri put on trial for by whose power or by what name, let it be known to you that we did it through the power of Jesus. He said, he is the cornerstone that the builders, you the builders, the, the teachers of Israel, rejected. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The issue is sin. We need to preach Christ. Christ came to save sinners, and I was a sinner. That is, that is our message. That is the simplified gospel. There is salvation in, from our sin in no other way. There is no salvation from our sin in any other person or God or religion. Self-betterment won't fulfill you. Self-improvement won't satisfy you. Amen? Amen. Self-will won't fix our sin problem. Christ Jesus saves from sin. He takes our guilt wholly upon His shoulders and bears the wrath of God for breaking His commandments for not glorifying God as God, and for failing to give thanks to Him. Then, having forgiven all our sin, He places on us a righteousness like no other, His own righteousness. Then, He empowers us by repeated fillings with the Holy Spirit, like filling up your tank with gas for free, to want to do what pleases the Lord. And that is what life is all about wanting to do what pleases the Lord and finding grace or empowerment to do so. And that's the difference between the rulers and religious leaders here and the apostles, Peter and John. Some wanted to please the Lord and tell of what he had done no matter what it cost them, and oh, it's going to cost them. Some wanted to be respected, to be in charge, and to not be bothered by Jesus and his call to die to ourselves and find ourselves in him. For there is salvation in no one else, and no other name under heaven can save but the name of Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you that there is sin in your life, do this Bible study for the next three months. Read Psalm 139, every morning, 
and Psalm 51 every evening. I think this will change your life. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John they perce- and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When you've been with Jesus, you are being filled with the Spirit and you carry the fragrance of the Spirit like a pleasing aroma. You can't hide it and you can't fake it. But we can mistake a good outward appearance for being filled with the Holy Spirit, haven't we? The Lord does not look on the outward appearance. He looks on our heart. Sometimes religious leaders are easy to follow because they inspire you and because they make you feel good about yourself. But you will know them by their fruit. What people say and what people do are two different things. How does he relate to his wife when no one is around to see it and there's nothing to prove to anyone else in the church? What kind of father is he? What kind of mother, what kind of mother is she? How is his integrity and his work ethic? Do they have glad and generous hearts? Have you ever known anybody who had a glad and generous heart? It's, it's uncommon, and so when you see it, like when you, when you read that the apostles were like that and the disciples became like that, you you start to think of like the five people you know or the 10 people you've ever met who their whole life, they just kind of ooh, uh, gave off the aroma of like a glad and generous heart, right? May we all be, have glad and generous hearts. To know people by their fruit. Is there the joy of the Lord or is there predominantly resentment? Is there spiritual pride and selfish desire to advance? Or is there the deep and ultimate desire to do what pleases the Lord no matter the cost? And this isn't like a, I'm one or I'm the other. This is a call to like Peter, who was pretty zealous, but didn't know what the heck he was doing and probably had some selfish ambition in there. You know, wasn't it uh, John and his brother who came to the Lord and they're like, Lord, Lord, we're not gonna tell you what it is, but Promise us you're going to do what we ask of you. Promise? He's like, what do you want? And he's like, we want, when you're enthroned in your kingdom, uh, he wants to be here and I want to be there. So you're going to do it? Like, we want to be like the second, tied for second place in, in ruling the world. Like, they had a little selfish ambition in their hearts, right? So this is the apostles, okay? Uh, this is not a, this is not a, a criticism or, a, or a, an accusation that you're, you have that in your heart and you should be that. This is a, we, we should be progressing like the apostles and we should join with them. As we read this passage, we find out where is their ruler, Sanhedrin, Pharisee, council, elder, scribe, where is the Pharisee and the Sadducee in my heart? That's how we read this and we apply it, Right? Is there spiritual pride and selfish desire to advance myself? Or is there the deep and ultimate desire to do what pleases the Lord no matter the cost? These are things that are difficult to fake. And they are some of the things that show that Christ genuinely lives among us.
In this passage, the boldness of Peter and John was an unmistakable sign that they had been with Jesus. Are you weak? Are you meek? Me too. Take refuge in Jesus. Are you afraid? Me too. Take refuge in him. Present yourself before him every day as a servant, ready to do his will. Let the song of your life be, Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, have me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my heart always be, make me a servant, make me a servant, make me a servant today. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They could not deny it. They had nothing to say in opposition because they were in opposition. They just had nothing to say in opposition. They had no way to punish them because they wanted to punish them. As we read the book of Acts, it's obvious to us that these religious leaders are making a big mistake. Other people's mistakes are often obvious. They just can't see their own mistakes. It would be easy to deride them and call them names like foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But today as we read this, our goal as always is to examine ourselves. And since Jesus used words like foolish and slow of heart to believe when he rebuked his own disciples, I think we should examine ourselves and see how much of that there is in us. Our prayer is for soft hearts, not hard hearts. What has the Holy Spirit tried many times to open your eyes to, but you would not do it? Therefore, wisdom and insight and peace were taken away from you. That has been every one of us at one time or another. Like the psalmist David, he wrote, I was like a beast to you. I was like an ignorant animal when I persisted in my rebellion, he wrote in the Psalms. So we're talking about today. Today, the Holy Spirit is here. Today, there may remain hardness of heart in us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And like the apostles, we will, of course, encounter opposition. When you encounter resistance from those who are not being led by the Spirit of God, it does not mean that God is not pleased with you. Amen? Their natural response to the opposition was that the whole church lifted their voices together in prayer. They didn't take up arms. They didn't riot. They were not worried and anxious about many things. Prayer was their first line of defense and their front line of offense. This was the result of the apostles' training with Jesus and the habits they had formed. 
So what do you turn to when you encounter trouble? And so they quote Psalm 146 as they begin to pray because they were always reading and singing the Psalms. And they say, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And they continue on and they quote Psalm 2. They say, through the mouth of our father David, through the mouth of our father David, through the mouth of our father David, you said. This is a succinct summary of the doctrine of the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. It means that the authors of Scripture wrote under the guidance and control of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I think um, we need to draw to a close. We're a little over time. So let's stop there and go right to prayer. Um, now, I just, I just want to testify. I got to testify. We cannot but testify to the things that we have seen and heard Jesus do. I have seen many lives powerfully changed by Jesus Christ. I saw my wife healed of asthma after Catherine Weiss prayed for her. I have had oppressing demons driven from me and thus experienced greater intimacy with God our Father in a way I never knew before. I have experienced healing from much shame and great deliverance from my own sin. In addition to forgiveness, forgiveness that, you can, that, that embraces you, forgiveness that turned me toward repentance, towards the fear of God, and he gave me a heart that desires to please him more and more as the years go by. And that, my friends, is a miracle. And that is our prayer today. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would grant to us that we might be more Mary and less Martha, that we might be found sitting at your feet, listening to your word. Decrease our desire for other things and increase our desire to hear from you in your word and to do what pleases you no matter the cost. Increase our desire to be with Jesus. Give us soft hearts, willingness to change, and not hardness of heart. Fill us with your Holy Spirit for boldness to speak of what we have heard and seen the Lord do. Glorify your name as the only name, the only one who can save us from our sin and from Satan and from the wrath of God. And now, Lord, look upon our spiritual adversaries in the spiritual realm. Consider our own weakness and propensity to sin. And look upon the threats of those who are not led by your Spirit. And fill us with your Spirit. And grant that we may boldly, verbally tell people what we have seen and heard you do in our midst. Stretch out your hand to heal both the outer body and the inner person of the heart and mind for your own eternal glory. For you are worthy. Amen.